0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved ones' doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits. Then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com.
3: and welcome to Gag Impressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And as we're recording straight after the FC Kloon and the uh, Fortuna-Düsseldorf game, I was kind of expecting these two fellas to have to cheer me up for the next 45 minutes. That's not quite the case. Haha, <laughs> get in. So joining me as always is Manu Vett. Manu, how are you?
2: Yeah, good. Uh, second week in a row of football. i you know, it's nice to settle back into the routine of covering games, writing match reports. Um, having games on television has just been a wonderful thing, Bryce. So, yeah, I'm doing really well. How about you?
3: Yeah, not too bad. As as I mentioned, you know, the Derby, I watched it. I'm going to be honest; I almost fell asleep. I don't think, um, you know, FC were very good, uh, but managed to get the two goals at the end to uh, to make it all look a little bit better and snatch a point. So I'm pretty good, actually. And yeah, I'm glad that football's back. I'm obviously glad to be talking um, about it to you fellas and, and to everyone else that I'm talking to, maybe online and in person. But um, yeah, it's, it's nice to have it back. And yeah, I'm pretty good, if I'm being honest. Uh, one man I know has been very busy uh, since football's returned, and not saying that you haven't been, Manu, but uh, Chris Williams uh, also joining us.
4: Bryce, good afternoon. Well, good evening. It's good afternoon for Manu because he's in uh, he's in Canada. But yeah, it's good evening to you. Um, yeah, I had the the privilege of uh, a very high scoring game this afternoon, which was um, Leipzig's rout against Mainz.
3: Yeah, I believe you were on the radio, eh? Oh, I know that because I tuned in. Um, nice job, Chris. I, I enjoyed hearing your voice twice on a Sunday.
4: I don't know whether that's fortunate or unfortunate. I'll let you decide that, Bryce.
3: <laughs> no, I, I was very lucky to hear it and you did a great job. But, well, we, we better get started because we've got an awful lot of football to talk about. But um, I, I feel we need to talk uh, just about how the football is going down Um you know, obviously, we had that massive break uh, for COVID-19. Football has uh, got underway as of last weekend and now it's back again. And we've just completed a second match day. That's match day 27. Manu, um, how do you feel it went? Um, we we've, we've kind of summed it up um, a little bit last week as well, didn't we? When it was all over and had a bit of a discussion as to how it's been recept- received by everyone and uh, and the general opinions. And, and what is it um, after the second week? yeah i mean it's it's settling into
2: a little bit of a routine i feel that you know I'm never going to get completely used to it um the way it is right now i mean football without fans is is something is missing right but i do sense that um i'm getting a little used to it Um, the excitement is a day again to get up and i mean for me i get up early in the morning when i'm over here to watch the games to, to get up early in the morning and to cover the games and You know, and to maybe even focus some of the on other storylines, like I I really, I think it's really enjoyable to see how coaches and staff are kind of dealing with this, with this really dense match uh, schedule and bringing on players that you maybe never even heard of before. And I think that's a really interesting part. So like I'm kind of discovering new things a little bit about the league and things that I haven't really paid too much attention to before. Like I thought, Florian Wirtz, for example, coming on uh, last week, and um, we're seeing lots of players being given their debuts, um, given playing time that maybe wouldn't get playing time because of course of the new substitution um, rules. And I, I think that's actually really neat in some ways to to see that. And I think I um, also like. How is that going to impact the league in the long run with like these younger players all of a sudden being given more playing time? So there's little details that I'm now noticing that I haven't maybe noticed before. And it's also really interesting that um, the actual playing time and the amount of contacts, there's no more crowding with referees, for example. That's like the actual playing time being up by quite a bit. I don't want to say the football on the field is better, but I don't actually think it's worse. Um, and it's maybe, you know, I guess the fans are missing, but the actual quality of the football, the way it has come back so fast, being in that level, it's been really surprising. And because it's a bit less contact and a little, so little crowding, the fact that the football is so flowing, and uh, free-flowing football, I think that's that's actually being a really neat aspect. So I think it is lots of positives to take away from. Of course, the big negative is we're still in COVID-19 and the coronavirus. But yeah, I think um, I can appreciate the product for what it is, um, even though the fans are not there.
3: And what about you, Chris? Uh, would you agree with Manu that you know, the, the football has been a good quality and maybe surprisingly so?
4: I am actually quite surprised about how High quality the football's been, especially over these last two match days. Um, of course, last weekend opened with a cracker with a River Derby, where Dortmund were were exceptional. Schalke were a little poor. I'm sure we'll get onto Schalke again um, quite soon. But the level of football has been quite high throughout the the two match days. Um, I'm I'm sort of agree with Manu that whilst I would prefer to see a full stadium with fans, fans not being there hasn't affected the game as much as I thought it would. And we're already seeing, like Manu said there, the, the, the ball's in play a lot longer. There seems to be less uh, last-ditch challenges. The, the the flow of the game seems to be better because players haven't got that 12th man on the back or they're not playing against that 12th man or playing with that 12th man behind them. So it, it gives a different aspect of football. And I think I have mentioned it before, but I've covered fixtures where you know there's been more dogs at a match than than humans and have also covered reserve fixtures where this is the norm um, I don't want it to be the norm but at the moment it is the new norm and I'm impressed by the level of football we've got the some of the attacking football over this particular match day has been a joy to watch and you know long may that continue um, if we're in these COVID-19 times at the moment and the worst thing that we're talking about is, is maybe trying to keep track of, of 10 changes in a match, which is quite hard for a journalist to keep track of when there's so many changes. If this is the only negative, apart from the fans not being there, I think it's a negative we'll all take. I didn't expect the football to be such a, a highly polished product, especially with the eight, nine week gap that we had. I mean, it doesn't feel like a season; It feels like. We're into the last nine match days of the season and there's there's a title to play for, there's relegation to avoid, there's European places to qualify for. I'm getting that feeling across all the games. And we've seen a few derbies over the last two match days, and they've been really high quality derbies, not affected as such. You can still see how much it means to the players and to the coaching staff. And and I didn't really expect that. And that's taken me by surprise, and it's a pleasant surprise.
3: Yeah, absolutely. the The quality has been very good, and you know, as I said, surprisingly so. But um, yeah, long may it last. Uh, Manu, just to touch a little bit um, on the issue, obviously that's uh, around the world with the the COVID uh, nineteen and, and the testing side of it. Uh, were there any? Any reactions? Um, was there any bad results? Was there, was there any negatives from it this week after the first uh, match week um, completed and then the dust was was settled? And, you know, coming into, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit, you know, um, a busy schedule this coming week. You know, how is it exactly they, they managed to test them so quickly?
2: Yeah, I mean... Um... Please, everything that I say now, take that with a huge caveat that I'm not a doctor, but um, a doctor of medicine anyways. <laughs> I do have a doctorate, but I don't, I'm not a doctor of medicine. Um, I think that the, the testing, the, the big thing with the testing was uh, obviously like last week, um, the players all went back home, right? Um, and I, I kind of gave an overview of that, that um, on Wednesday they were tested um, I was asked on Wednesday, when are we going to find out the test results? And I said, like, well, hopefully, and this this was on Twitter, hopefully we're not going to find out about any test results because you will not hear anything if the ne- test results were negative, right? The only time you will hear about any test results if one of the players were flagged positive. And they were not in the, in the Bundesliga. I believe at Dynamo Dresden, there was a yet another case, um, which seems odd, but, um, you know, that's an entirely different story. Then on Friday, or in Hertha's case, um Herta's and Union's cases, they were tested on Thursday, 24 hours before the match day. And then they find out that morning whether they were tested positive or negative, right? Again, um, all the players um, were tested negative. So um, none of the players were put into quarantine. And I think, you know, that's that's been, um, for me, this week was a bigger test than last week because last week they all were in quarantine. Yes, we all laughed about Heiko Herrlich and um, Salomon Kalou and Heiko Herrlich's press conference and being then isolated and Salomon Kalou um, with his Facebook video. But you almost wonder how often does this kind of same stuff happen in other uh, lines of work, lines of life, right? Like in other lines of work. um, How often does this kind of stuff happen? For example, Volkswagen. Now, this week, of course, was the big test because all the players um, went back home. And uh, went back to the normal environment and then traveled to training sessions back and forward. So there was a bit more contact. um, But yet again, I mean, um, I think it it shows that the the league concept has worked. And um, it's going to be interesting now with the next round of testing, which is, of course, we have a match days on Tuesday and Wednesday. We're going to talk about one of these games in particular and the tests will be done 24 hours before the game, Bryce, and um, then of course right after the games they will be tested again. So very vigorous, uh, lots of testing being done. But you know, every match day that we get right now, where where everything passes like the way it has right now, is 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 a positive. It's a very positive thing because it earns the league another week of playing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like they're being very thorough, and yeah, all things are are looking pretty positive. At the moment, which is great to hear, uh, Chris. Um, obviously, we mentioned it last week that um, a lot of people are interested in Bundesliga more than ever, um, due to it being you know the only large um, British uh, large sorry European uh, league to return at the moment. Um, I, I'm even getting messages, you know, from neighbours and i messages and them back, you know, about the, the different games going on. So that means that people are going to be tuning in. TV uh, numbers are going to be larger than normal. Imagine. Well, what exactly has been the opinion there? There's some people saying that it, it it isn't that big. Other people saying it is. I mean, could you clear it up a little bit for us?
4: Now, it all depends on on where you sit and and where your expertise is. Um, I'm quite lucky. I've written for Forbes in the past. Man, man who still does write for Forbes. So, football business is is a little bit different than than people may think. So, for instance, if you look at viewing numbers purely in the UK, so for the United Kingdom the um, Dortmund Schalke game had round about 500,000 viewers now that doesn't sound much but you have to remember that it's on BT Sport which is um the 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 minority sports station that falls after Sky Sports television um so for it to get 500,000 viewers is very very good now I think we have to bear in mind that should BT show a Premier League fixture and it would be a normal mid-table fixture or one of the top six against a a mid-to-bottom table team, you would get round about 400,000. If you're looking at um, a match that maybe you want to avoid a a mid-table clash or a relegation clash, you're probably looking round about the 300,000 mark. So for BT Sports, which is a, a paywall television, to get half a million viewers, which is... On average, higher than its Premier League. I think that is that is wonderful. Now, there were some um, comparisons drawn over here that maybe it wasn't as good and it didn't attract you know the same number of viewers as uh, as uh, as a drama that was on at the same time. Well, that drama happened to be on free to air television, and if you're going to watch a drama on a Sunday afternoon, you're probably not going to watch the football anyway. So for me, these viewing figures are exceptional then flick over to the United States where Fox um, Sports showed the game. And not only were they up by 725% the viewing figures on the last match day, you have to bear in mind that some of these kickoffs were half past six in the morning and half past nine in the morning. So for them to get 450,000 viewers once again on a a paywall site is, is absolutely astonishing. Now, I had a, a conversation on Twitter with um, with one of the American football or American soccer accounts, and they thought it was disappointing because Fox television is broadcast into 79 million homes across the states. Well, people who subscribe to Fox generally, and this is a generalization here, they will subscribe to watch um, though the key American sports, NASCAR, baseball, basketball, NFL. And they may not watch an, an, an obscure European league on on the t- on the television at half six in the morning so for them to get those views were were unbelievable um you know the, the, in the netherlands uh the the views were double sky italia it was so high um even movie star plus um in spain was very very high over a quarter of a million views for a game that would probably get half of that uh, people's appetite for football is back and they want to watch it it's very different no one's saying it's better. No one's saying it's worse. But the appetite is there. And and to cast aspersions that, oh, well, they only got 500,000 viewers. I think you have to remember the context that that, for instance, in, in the United States was 725 percent up on the last live Bundesliga fixture. And you cannot turn your nose up at those sort of viewing numbers. And I'm pretty sure that people in Frankfurt and Kern will be exceptionally happy with those viewing numbers for the Bundesliga's return. Here it comes, and he's got in the
0: net. He just proved it, and it's by after this time. He too crowning an outstanding display. All over here, all hurt up in the derby.
3: And that clip was from the Friday night game where we seen the Berlin derby. That's right, Hertha Berlin taking on Union. Uh, Hertha very much were the uh, talking point uh, I feel anyway um, or the surprise talking point from the return last week uh, with a 3-0 win against Hoffenheim. To be honest we don't really expect that much from Hertha but they look rejuvenated and this was an emphatic victory of 4-0 win against their crosstown rivals. Uh, Manu th- this this is huge isn't it and it does show um, just how much you know a change in coach can make to a side with Labadia now in charge they, they look completely different to the side before the break.
2: Yeah, I think about uh, two or three weeks ago, um, Hertha were probably advocating towards um, deleting Facebook forever. Um, they had a nightmare with their social media platform this season, first with Jürgen Klinsmann and then uh, Salomon kalu But I, I think coming out of COVID, the, nine, the COVID-19 break, um, not many people are talking about Hertha and Facebook anymore. They're talking about how how well they are playing. And I mean, the side has been transformed. I thought they were, the first half of the, the derby was intense. Um, you know, it was pretty level, but in the second half, ahead, they were, were exceptional. That double strike by uh, first Ibisevic and, and Luka Baku. And I thought Ibisevic, by the way, was fantastic. Um, you know, he's being, He's, have, he's having a real renaissance under Bruno Labadia, um, But also you see some of the other players, I mean, Dodi, Luke Baku, how often have we talked about him last year? And all this talent that he has and how well he played for Fortuna and then he went to Hertha and never really completely, we never saw the same Luke Baku again and now under Bruno Labbadia, um, he's, he's looking much better. And the same can be said about Matheus Cunha, who has now scored uh, four in four games um, in the last four. And again, you know, Bruno Labadia is, is is showing that he's he's coaching him well. I mean, this is this is a player who we always knew had the talent and uh, scored some highlight real goals for RB Leipzig, but um, never really completely fulfilled his potential. And now at Hertha, is is really showing that he he can be an exceptional player going forward. And I just think too, um and this this is something that I said and even within like 10, ten, fifteen minutes of the game I tweeted it out and um you know, it's that this is probably the most the most attractive that I've seen Hertha play. Um I said uh jokingly said like Hertha is showing some semblance of attractive football, but they were playing well out of the back, they were pressing high, they were you know, they were playing real good. Good football. And I think that's like anyone who's seen Hertha over the ages. Chris and I have been to Berlin lots. Um, we usually go to the games there when they get smashed by um, anyone, really. I mean, I, I was at a game where they got smashed by a side that is now in the Swedish second division. Um, it's it's really refreshing seeing them play so much better. And I think that's really up to Bruno Labbadia. I know Chris has uh, probably wants to say a few things about Bruno as well because of his time at Wolfsburg.
4: Yeah, it's no surprise that he's got this Hertha side um, clicking almost instantly, really. For, for me, the way Bruno Labadier plays football or the way he approaches football and the way he wants his players to play it, is a joy to watch. Um, I think he's unfairly been given a label as um, as someone who avoids relegation, can can bring a team up from from a fight. And I would hate to say this, but an uh, easy comparison for the for anyone from the UK would be a sort of Sam Allardyce type. But he plays a or his tactics and his philosophy is a lot better. And I think he didn't get that opportunity at Wolfsburg. He he, he saved them. Uh, he took them high in the league, but he wasn't able to be given the right amount of time to develop. The style of play that was seen in make almost immediately at Hertha. I mean, if you look at Hertha's front three, Kurnia, Ibisevic and Luka Bakayoko, that is a very strong front three. Um, and they've also got the likes of Gruic in midfield as well. And what particularly impressed me since, since the return, and especially on Friday night for the derby was the way they were able to um, do real nice, pretty, intricate passes in the middle and look to either flanks and and look to play through the lines against Union. They were quite happy to, dare I say it, knock it long and, and look for uh, Ibizovic to knock it down to either Kunio or Lukbakioko on the side. So they can mix up their play, which I think has been lacking in Teta for a while. And I know, Manu, we've spoke about this. Bryce, we've also spoke about this. Berlin is crying out for a big club and Hertha have got all the ability now to to push on and get into the Europa League consistently and maybe build towards a Champions League slot because we all talked about how we would like to see this derby and and how we'd like to see Union and Hertha playing uh, in a full stadium. Unfortunately, we didn't get that on this match day. Um And I don't think it detracted from Hertha. I did think it did for Union. I think they struggled without the crowd. But for Hertha Berlin... This is real encouraging signs for me that they can build upon this this foundation that Bruno Lapid is making, and they can really push towards those european places
3: yeah that 's it uh, we 've had a few people even asked us you know as uh, since the return of the Bundesliga you know why is this not the case? Why have they not got a bigger um, more successful club in berlin and Yeah, I think you know it's. um, I I think that will change in time, and it's a good thing to have them both in the Bundesliga, isn't it? And yeah, that was um, a fun way, if you were a Hertha fan anyway, to uh, to start the weekend off. So we're going to move on now and talk about uh, Bayern Munich and well the scoreline you look at and you think 5-2 and you think it must have been clear ceiling and it very much was up until 3-0 when Robert Lewandowski scored once again. Then there was two goals by the visitors to bring it back 3-2 within three minutes and that gave them a bit of a scare didn't it Manu?
2: yeah martin hinterherger gave them a bit of a, of a scare i think um you don't often see bayern switch off the way they did when they were up by three goals to nil and uh i think there was actually a moment where uh, i mean i mean they made a huge mistake chris has probably been there many times that you open up your laptop and it's like okay yeah, it's three now time to type up the match report and uh I started doing that and then Hintager like, scored two goals and I was like, okay, okay, well maybe I would off for a little bit because this might go a completely different direction than my opening sentence might suggest. But um I I think it's not often that Bayern switch off the way they did. And I think they were in real danger of 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 drawing in that game, had it not been for um that fourth goal that uh Fonzi scored, um where he really like jumped on the ball. And uh, capitalize of, of Frankfurt's a little bit shoddy defending there, and then their own goal by Hinteracker uh, sealed it. Um, you know, interesting that Hinteracker scored two goals, and then scored a third on his own. Um, but yeah, I think I, I thought it was interesting that Bayern took that lead and um, completely switched off and did not pers- like did not keep up the pressure and it, it needed those two goals and then the Fonsi goal uh for to basically get them back up to tempo but yeah I think maybe it is the lack of atmosphere or maybe it's just you know the the, the lack of pressure um or maybe they just didn't Frankfurt didn't think that Frankfurt could come so back quickly back into the match but it's definitely something that you don't often see from this Bayern side. Um at the same time, I mean they then they also were able to turn it right back on and, and win the game. Uh, it's it's an it's definitely something where you know we have a big match coming up um on the weekend with, with Dortmund. Um so it's gonna be interesting to see how how Dortmund looked at this and how the um if they saw anything in this game that they were thinking, OK, well, if you can put on some pressure on them, they are beatable.
3: Yeah, that's I think we uh, then need to uh, talk about Dortmund as well, especially ahead of after Klassiker, which is coming up on Tuesday. Um an early kickoff on Tuesday as well. It's going to be 5 p.m. in the UK. Check your, your local times as to when it'll be on. This is going to be one to certainly tune into. Chris, Manu's talked a little bit about Bayern switching off. I mean, they got the job done. They didn't look that convincing either, really, against Onion, did they? Do you think this is a time where Dortmund can really make the most of it? I mean, they won 2-0 against Wolfsburg over the weekend. Um they really need to win it, don't they? To stand a chance of, um, you know, getting that first place.
4: I think it's in, it's imperative for Dortmund to win this classica and I can see the whole league campaign turning on this game. If Dortmund are able to get a positive result uh, and to narrow that gap and to bring it down as much as they can, um, it will certainly help them in their pursuit of um, of the title. I think Dortmund and Lucien Favre in particular will will have studied. Um, Frankfurt's two goals both from set plays um, how much did Bayern switch off I think we all thought the game was over at 3-0 but it turned within five minutes and I think Bayern will be thankful um, that it was against Frankfurt because just as Frankfurt got themselves back in into the picture they they threw it away pretty much and yeah Manu mentioned their Hinteregger Um, scoring an own goal, great statistic that I found over the weekend, he became the first player to score a brace and an own goal in the same game for 23 years nobody wants that um, sort of statistic on them, but I mean Bayern, I put in my match report that their their quality shone through in the end, and I think it did, and that is something that Dortmund need to be wary about, because should Dortmund go up 1-0 or 2-0 even, I think Bayern have the full ability to hurt them, but this particular match day, Dortmund needed a response um, to, to carry on going, to take the pressure to buy. And it wasn't good enough just to win the game against Schalke. Winning has to become the new consistency all the time uh, for Dortmund if they want to win this league. And I thought they played very well. They went 1 0 low. Rafael Guerrero scoring again. I think he's becoming a real four this season. And then I think Dortmund went off the boil a little bit, but. Previous seasons, I think it would have gone 1 1, but they didn't. They stuck at it and then got that second goal, real important goal with about 12 minutes left from Hakimi. Excellent work by Jaden Sancho again, um, you know, coming off the bench. I think he's just got a slight calf problem, which is stopping him starting at the moment. But they're getting goals from all around um, the pitch at the moment. I mean, Haaland had an air kick. Um, but Guerrero was there to, to make sure it went in. They're not just relying on one person, and that's what makes this Dortmund side particularly exciting. So I don't want to build up Tuesday, matches, uh, Tuesday night's game too much, Bryce, because I went to the only 0-0 classica three or four years ago now, um, and I was bitterly disappointed at the end of it. However, if we have a 0-0 on Tuesday night, I may just eat my own hat.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very unlucky there, Chris. Um Manu, I mean, would you agree with Chris that this is kind of make or break for Dortmund? Uh, I mean, they haven't been very successful against Bayern in the previous two games uh, that they faced each other. But it, it almost seems like, you know, the, the form of the sides is right for them.
2: Well, there's two Borussia Dortmunds. There's the Borussia Dortmund playing at home and there's the Borussia Dortmund getting smashed in Munich uh, year in, year out. It's going to be interesting to see if the empty signal Duna Park, who is going to be affected by that more, Bayern or Borussia Dortmund? Uh, I think that is that is going to be a big factor because I was at the uh, I was at both Classics this season. I was at the DFL Super Cup in Dortmund that Dortmund won, and I was in that I was at that game in Munich <laughs> that uh, very disappointing match for Borussia Dortmund, where I think many people thought they're finally going to win and. You know, um, one of my favorite German words is "Klassenunterschied," the class difference. And that was a night where there was a Unterschied between those two teams and Borussia Dortmund. Um, I mean, this this was when many of us thought maybe Lucien Favre could be gone, right? Uh, So I think that they have a lot to prove in this game. And I'm with Chris. Uh, I think they would have in the past maybe dropped points against Wolfsburg the way they were playing. I think too that... Dortmund's ability to beat Bayern Munich, and I'm interested to hear what Chris thinks about this, will massively depend on Mats Hummels. I think we saw how important Mats Hummels has become to this team in that game against Wolfsburg. Mats Hummels was taken off with uh, as a precautionary measure with a foot injury um, at halftime. And Emre Shah, who I think is an immense player, um, I think he is going to be very important for for Dortmund as well. But he was playing in in a, in a centre-back role. And I think it's just, even though he would like to play there, I think he's just not as influential there as Mats Hummels is. I think his role is much better in midfield or next to Hummels. And it, it they visually dropped off a little bit. And uh, I think Hummels being on the field on Tuesday is going to be incredibly important for Borussia Dortmund.
4: Yeah, I, I, I agree there entirely, Manu, because... I think we all know Emery Chan's a very talented individual and it, and he is very good in that defensive midfield position that he can pretty much make his own if he's on the top of his game. He can play centre-back in the same way that Javier Mascherano used to be able to play centre-back for Barcelona because he's a, a midfielder. So he, you, in essence, become a, a defender who can play like a midfielder. And I think that suits Emery Chan, but he still gets highlighted for the fact that he's not a centre-back Um and that's the only problem for me is he may be able to get you know, his foot on the ball and to look up and to be able to pick a nice pass. But Mats Hummels can do that and he can do the defending to a higher standard than Emre Shan. And that's not to write Shan off. I just think when you've got someone as talented as Hummels, um, you need to have your best players when you're playing against Bayern. Because I think we've seen um, over the last two match days since the, the league's come back that Bayern haven't been on top form. But even though... That's not the case. They've still managed to win convincingly in the end. And if you're Borussia Dortmund or associated with Borussia Dortmund, you don't want Bayern winning convincingly in this game. It was interesting to hear um, Thomas Muller speak after the match um, to Sky to say that he feels for him there's nothing better than playing against Dortmund. um, That Bayern have set themselves three wins Um, in, I think we're going to call it just over a week, the Union game the game against Frankfurt and Tuesday night's game against Dortmund, they've set themselves three wins from three, they've got two of them Um, Muller also said apart from there's nothing better than playing Dortmund that he thinks the title belongs in Munich and he wants to leave Signal Aduna Park with a smile on his face and they're quite they're quite big words, if I was Lucien Favre I'd probably type out and then pin up the words of Thomas Muller on the the dressing room wall just to give everybody a little bit more impetus. Obviously, you will have to print it out twice because of the two changing rooms at the moment. But don't let it get away that this is a match where sometimes form can go out the window. Very much agree with Manu that if this is in um, the Allianz Arena, I think Dortmund will start the game 1-0 down psychologically, and that's been a problem for them for the last couple of seasons. But in their own backyard... Normally with a full house, they seem to have the edge. It's going to be very interesting for me to see how the empty stadium affects either side uh, or both sides, sorry, and to see which side benefits from it the most in inverted commas.
3: Yes, that's it. Bayern Munich sitting in with 61 points and right behind them, Dortmund 57. So it's a massive game if Dortmund want to close that gap so let's move on to the Sunday games and talk about third place rB leipzig uh Chris you watched this game as we mentioned you were doing a, a bit of a work for the one of the radio stations as you watched it rather closely um a rather entertaining game and and then finally getting back to uh, winning ways but um Sabitzer, we've seen him have a very uh positive performance and you know that was no ton in, in intended but after testing positive for you coronavirus
4: just uh, only three weeks ago. Leipzig were unbelievably good today and Sabitzer was, was influential as was Kevin Campbell um, but yeah considering he tested positive three weeks ago um, I would assume that being asymptomatic he obviously just had the disease but didn't know so he wasn't suffering from the symptoms that you've seen so you know, cold-like symptoms and, and a heavy, and a persistent dry cough and a sore chest. I don't think he would have been able to pull out that sort of performance had he had um, those symptoms three weeks ago. But, yeah, Leipzig were um, phenomenally good today. And I think that's down to the way that Julian Nagelsmann set them up. They started with a back three, but very quickly changed to a back four. And that's something I particularly like about Nagelsmann, is he reads the game um, very, very well. And his team were were simply unstoppable. Timo Werner will quite rightly get all the headlines with his hat trick. I think on another day he could have had a double hat trick. I think if he looks back on this performance personally, he'll he'll find some areas where he could improve on. And that is quite the statement to make, Bryce, after he scored a hat trick. But that's how good they were. But Paulson was was brilliant, captain in the side today. A real landmark day for him. Um, and. I did feel sorry for um, for Mainz because they didn't know whether to press. They didn't know whether to drop. They didn't know whether to hold off. They didn't know whether to get close. And in the end, they decided to do nothing. Um, did have a real good go towards the back end uh, when they made some some substitutions. Uh, Mateta came on. I thought he was good. Iwone came on again, obviously, on loan from Liverpool. Scored last weekend. I thought he helped Mainz take the the game to Leipzig a little bit. But, I mean, the game was over at half-time. And the second half was just a joy to watch. And it's a real shame for Leipzig because they play this type of football and they've dropped so many points. This should be a three-way fight for the title at the moment. And I can only presume that at some point during this season, Nagelsmann and his players will kick themselves because they had a real opportunity Um, And they're still going well in the Champions League whenever, if that ever comes back this season. They're having a great season and I'd like to see them kick on now. A bit of a disappointing result last weekend at home against Freiburg that we talked about. But yeah, they were just unplayable today from front to back. Galashi was hardly called upon, but when he was called upon, he commanded his area well. Um, Upper Meccano started the game very, very well. He was left on his own, Bryce, as one centre-back. That's how confident Leipzig were going forward. And even when he came off um, and Vili Orban came on, it was great to see him come back on after his injury. He looked just as assured in that position. So the signs are looking really, really good for Nagelsmann and Leipzig at the moment. Disappointing for Mainz. But, I mean, if you're connected with Leipzig, their football today was breathtaking.
3: Yeah, great result for Julian Nagelsmann and his RB Leipzig side, uh, and so great to have Timo Werner back, especially with that hat trick. He looked very sharp, didn't he? Um, yeah, so let's um, let's move on, I suppose.
1: One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved ones' doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits. Then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com.
0: That's d r i z l y.com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
3: Okay, and as we said last week, we're going to play um, a team's uh, theme song uh, each week. And what you've just heard was Wolfsburg's team entrance music. So so yeah, just uh, keep tuning in. We're going to try and educate you to the different songs um, of the Bundesliga teams, you know, because it, it, they play a massive part uh, you know, in the atmosphere in and around the ground. So so yeah, tune in next week and we'll, we'll spring another one on you. But uh, Manu, let's uh, talk about the Rhine Derby today. Um, I mentioned it right at the top of the... I was so delighted that FC managed to pull back and get a 2-2 draw against uh, Fortuna. Uh, But they really didn't look very good for a large part of the game. And Fortuna, maybe a little bit unlucky. Possibly substitutions were their downfall.
2: Yeah, I think there was a lot of um, odds with substitutions made. We spoke a little bit off the pod. Um, The 2-0 scoreline, I know this is an age-long (laughs) cliché. So sorry if you if I annoy anyone with this, but it's it's the worst scoreline uh, to defend, right? Because you have to lead, and you just know the other team could maybe crawl back. And I don't understand why you would go so defensive at at a point where you have two goals, and you know you have other chances to score. You have more chances to score, and it, at three nil, that game is over. It's done and dusted, right? And that's something that I didn't understand with Rösler's decisions. um, You know, I would have gone more attacking-minded and keep the pressure up. I thought, actually, they were were parts of that game, Bryce. Uh, Maybe I sound like a tactic nerd now, but I was really impressed on how both sides, how high they were pressing up the field and really trying to win the ball and this is, a, this is another thing that um, really speaks for the level of play in the league at, at this early stage after the break that teams are able to press so far up the pitch at a high, at a high intensity despite there not being fans in the crowds despite the fact that they've only been training for a week before the season started again. And I, I thought that was actually quite impressive. And if you have if you have a situation where both teams are pressing really high, and you are the side that maybe um, takes the foot a little bit off the paddle, like Fortuna did, you are giving the other team that's already been playing a high pressing game an opportunity to get back in, and that's what Köln did. And Köln, I mean, they were bringing on attacking players, they brought on Modesta, for example. Uh, Cordova was very good, I think, throughout the game. He was very angry that he didn't get to shoot a penalty that Mark Oud missed him. and then made a 2-1 later on, right, in the 88th minute, and then yeah, I mean, uh, sorry, Modeste made it 2-1, and then, of course, kodovo has got the equalizer. I, that's just that's just it for me. Um, Fortuna took the foot off the pedal, and that was a big mistake.
3: Yeah, I think uh, I think gonna, you know, Gistel's going to have to start uh, Draxler in the next game, if I'm being honest. That's three assists in uh, two games, and he's not started either of them. So uh, I think he's uh, made a big difference, hasn't he, to Cologne? But yeah, I'm rather happy with that point, I think, after a poor start. But um uh, Chris, uh, obviously we're going to talk about, we've talked about something positive and we're going to talk about something rather negative and that was Shelka. They once again have been very poor. I think um, as some people were saying to me, it's not necessarily the coach's fault, it's the quality of the players. But, you know, we've seen with Hertha, you know, that coach can make such a big difference. So you know, where exactly does the fault lie here? Is it the players, is it the coach or what's happening?
4: It's a very good question, Bryce. Uh, David Wagner's a great coach. And this Schalke side have got talented individuals spread throughout. Um, You've got Matondo, Rabbi Matondo up front today. I think he's a real good player for a youngster. You've got Sadar, you've obviously got Kenny, you've got Sane, Nastasic, Kaladuri, Weston McKennie. They are real good squad players, but for some reason they've gone completely off the boil. Now, I do feel a little sorry for David Wagner because... There were some real individual errors that allowed um, Augsburg to to get the result they did today. Um, Sane's header, I think, for the second goal is poor. And then John Joe Kenny jumps in to a tackle that he maybe should have just shown uh, the outside of. But they are individual errors and you can fix them on um, on the training field. And David Wagner's got the quality to fix those on the training field. I just get the feeling that all's not well at Schalke from top to bottom um, they're having some financial difficulties that are well known. They're looking to sell the business asset of the club or find an investor for the business side of the club. They are not hemorrhaging money, but they're being severely affected by this pause in football and by the lack of revenue that's coming through. And I think that can make players nervous and it can make coaches nervous. Um, I think David Wagner is OK. I don't think he will get sacked. Um. Schneider spoke to me personally. I had a sit down interview with him in October and, and said he wanted to see the football change. I think we've seen the football change under David Wagner. Um, Schalke are a traditional big side, you know, like I said before, third biggest club by membership. Um, and I think David Wagner's got a little bit of currency from being a member of the Eurofighter squad, a very famous squad out in, in Schalke when they won the UEFA Cup. So they. He will get the time there, Wagner, but they're going to have to improve. I mean, let's look back 18, 24 months when Dominique Tedesco was there. Even though they're they're getting beat at the moment, they are playing a, a different brand of football, a more positive brand of football. But the individuals they have and the talented coaching staff they have, they should be doing a lot more. And today particularly, both Manu and I have spoken at great length how Schalke need a striker, a striker that will get them 10, 15, 20, 25 goals a season. I know it's hard to find, but they need that, and they don't have that ability. But it's the problems at the back that have really surprised me over these last two match days. Now, whether they're finding it hard to adjust to empty stadiums, I don't think we're going to find out that answer um, until we see Schalke play in front of a, a crowded Veltins Arena again. But for me, Manu, I don't know if you agree, we've talked about the the forward problems, but now it's all about the back, and I'm going to hand you the curious case of Alexander Nubel and Schubert and what's going on there. And surely the hatchet has to be buried now because we're seeing Schalke almost, and I say this with a heavy heart, going out almost with with 10 players on the pitch at time. Yeah, the curious
2: case of Alexander Nubel. I think this is a question that also came in on Twitter. So I guess we can just... um cover that or touch on that real quick now but yeah you're 100% right Chris um, Schalke have to go back to Nubel and goal um, there is no doubt about it that Schubert even though he is talented and all that is currently not up to the standard that Schalke require from from their goalkeeper and yeah nübel made mistakes after his move I think his transfer to Bayern period is a, is a mistake as well but Um, he is such a talented goalkeeper. He is the most talented goalkeeper we have in German football at the moment. And he needs to play. Um, And he he should be playing and he should be playing for for Schalke. Um, I don't think he's going to fix all the defensive problems. I think we've gotten to a point now that the financials and the, the crisis and all that kind of stuff that's going on at, at Schalke. Um, and I do think you're right that that does play a role in, in in the minds of players. Um, is a big aspect, but I think also maybe it's a general quality problem for Schalke. It's not just the attack. Um, You know, you have someone like Rabi Mantondo and Mantondo caused like big laughter when uh, Man United discovered like, discovered him as a, a cheaper Jadon Sancho alternative. Uh, I think we all had to kind of smile and laugh about that, but I mean it's because he, he hasn't really been that great in the league and he's definitely not a striker yet he's playing up front in 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 that role, right? And Grigoric is not a really not a striker either, so they still have that problem. But you look at their back line. I mean Nastasić had many many injuries, never really quite the same. Sané was a defender they signed from Hannover 96. Um this is a club that's never been a big club in in German football. John Joe Kenny, I mean this is a lonely from Everton who couldn't play there. Why would he be good enough to play in the Bundesliga? This is a nice guy and all that, and yeah, and he has some good performances, but he's not a top class player. I think it's through the board a quality issue. And I feel for some players like Weston McKinney, who I have a really high opinion of, or uh Serda, for example, who I also think has has quality, but you know that that entire team from the goal to the reserve the reserves is just not strong enough, and I think that they for a while they were playing over their means, and right now I think they they are going to have a tough time for a while because the finances aren't there either to really improve it, so they have to go and maybe find players in the youth. And they have to go for the obvious choices. And um, that brings us back to the keeper, right, Chris? Like, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Right now, we just need results. So play your best keeper. Um, Don't make it a political thing.
4: Exactly right for me. Because, and I don't want to throw um, Marcus Schubert under a bus, but Nastasic and Sane and Kenny, they must be feeling a little bit nervous with him behind. Um, with him behind them, and I think that affects defenders' play. We see, I mean, look at Bayern when uh, Manuel Neuer was out; it affected, it affected their centre backs at times. So, if you're a defender and you know that your goalkeeper is quality, and if you were to make a mistake, then the goalkeeper can bail you out. That that gives you a, a, almost a luxury to be able to take a risk or to be able to take a chance. If you're worrying, if I make a mistake here, I've got Schubert behind me and, you know, too slow to catch a cold at the moment, that is going to affect your play. But yeah, you are quite right from front to back and even on the bench. Um, they're having problems. And I think everybody will know on this uh, that listens to this podcast that we're massive fans of uh, Guido Bergstahler and for him not to be able to even get on the pitch at the moment is is also a worrying sign. Um yeah, big changes needed at Schalke in playing personnel, I think. Um, for me, though, the coach, Wagner, should stay because you'd have to have a look round and say, who could we get that was better than David Wagner? And, and I don't think there is anybody that's available at the moment who would who would offer a better option than that. And also for David Wagner, is he's not playing with the highest quality squad. So should they finish the league in their current position, which is 8th? Um, and they're in, a, they're in a tight fit there. I mean, they could drop off to 11th where Hertha are her they carry on their ascendancy. But for them to be eighth at the moment is probably about right on balance for the squad they've got. And when they were a fourth and fifth earlier on in the season, they were probably just punching above their weight a little bit. And I think we all say throughout this podcast as we've been doing it, and Mano and I have said it many times to people who've asked us questions, the table doesn't lie.
3: No, it certainly doesn't. And yeah, I think you're... Hitting the nail on the head there, Chris, by saying that you know Schalke were punching above their weight to a degree this season, weren't they? But um, we're going to stick with Schalke, but we're going to move to the Twitter questions that we've received this week. And the first one is about that goalkeeper. uh, And we're going to talk about that, I think, quite a bit uh, from here on into the rest of the season. Uh, So we will start off. The first question comes from at that Arab keeper. He says, in your opinion... What does Manuel Neuer's contract extension mean for how much playing time Alexander Neubel will get at Bayern Munich? We'll, we'll go to Manu for this one.
2: Yeah, I think if you are Alexander Neubel, you have to be very worried about the promises made to you. Um, what was it, 15 games a season? I think if you're a young keeper, 15 games a season is not enough um, to begin with. Um, and Manuel Neuer signing a three-year contract, we were talking off the pot how good Manuel Neuer has been. This season, he's completely, I mean, he is in the conversation again of being one of the best keepers, maybe the best keeper in the world. I know there's some other keepers out there that also claim that. But, you know, he is in that conversation again, and rightfully so, because he's been fantastic. And that stop that he made against Frankfurt, for example, is a good example. And um, for are you are currently on the bench at Schalke, yes, and as I mentioned, it's political. But how are you going to get past Manuel Neuer at this level? It's just not going to happen. So I think that um, they, I know they've said they're not going to do it, but they must be looking at a lone move for him because he needs to play. He needs to go somewhere where he can play um, significant minutes. Otherwise, he's going to not develop in the right direction. And I think that is will be something that they will have to look at.
3: Absolutely. I think the three of us can agree on that one. Okay, we're gonna to go to the next question. We'll go to Chris for this one. Uh, we've discussed the uh, a little bit, but we'll, we'll discuss it a little further here. Question comes from at Edmondson Dom. Are Favre and Dortmund going to provide a repeat performance in the once again, or have they got more metal to them now? And he adds, he's not very hopeful. Chris.
4: <laughs> well, I think he's got um, right to be not very ho- um, hopeful, but I think we have to to take into account um, Dortmund's results away from home. So obviously this particular iteration of the Clasica is going to be a signal of Park a partner Westfalenstadion. And Dortmund, on the whole, have been a little better there. Um, had it been away, I-, I, would hel- I would hold not much hope either, Dom, to be honest, because the results there have been 4-0 defeat, 5-0 defeat, 6-0 defeat. It- it's not been pretty reading, but at home... Um, they have tended over the at least the last couple of games to to hold their own there there's a great 3-2 victory um like it was last season and then obviously the um the super cup victory at the start of this current season i worry like manu said earlier the how the the lack of fans will will cope um i'm intrigued to see how dortmund can maybe exploit that weakness and um, that frankfurt exposed Um, aerially, is that something that they can look at? Dortmund play such fast, quick transition football um, that I think if they can get in behind Bayern's back line, then the likes of Sancho, Haaland, Guero, Julian Brandt, even Thorgan Hazard, they've all got the ability to punish Bayern. But up front at the moment, I know we're going to talk about Robert Lewandowski and how well he's playing, but Thomas Muller is just in a vein of form that is befitting a a national call-up. Now, I don't think we're going to see that, but should Germany play again, whenever that is going to be in the future, when national games come back, Thomas Muller has to be considered. Now, whether he is or not is a different question, but his play since Niko Kovac has left and since Hansi Flick has come in, he is now crucial to this whole Bayern operation. And for me, I think we were looking at would Thomas Muller move on in January? Would he move on this summer or whenever the transfer window is going to be open? I think now he's as crucial to the way Bayern play as he's ever been. And I really want to see um, him particular have a go at that Dortmund back line. Because if there is any sort of um, chink in that armour, um, if Hummels was not to play, if Emre Shan was to be in there, I think um, Thomas Muller's movement and his movement on the weekend against Frankfurt was phenomenal. I-, I think he could really hurt Dortmund. So it's going to be a close one for me, Dom. Um, And it all depends how the first 15 minutes go. I think if if the scores are tied after 15 minutes, I think Dortmund have got a good opportunity. If Bayern come out the way they did in that second half against Frankfurt, the game could be over pretty quickly. So it's going to be on a knife edge for me.
3: Yeah, it does prove to be an entertaining one and it's going to shape the rest of the season for us. Make sure you don't miss that one on Tuesday. Uh, so the final question of the day, we'll go to you Manu. Uh, it comes from at joesmooth3722, he says, how much in danger are Eintracht Frankfurt from relegation?
2: Yeah, it's just four points um, to Fortuna and um, I would be worried at this stage. I I, I, know I saw somewhere on Twitter the other day that someone said like, oh, why would any team in the Bundesliga be worried being six points of relegation? You know, with um, what was it, nine games to be played at that stage. And I said, like, look, teams have gone down with more points at this stage. Um, you're not safe until you got to ma- magic 40 points. That's that's the reality of it. And I think that Frankfurt, although they had spells against Bayern where I thought, okay, this is better. They also, you know, were not able. They made so many small little individual mistakes that cost them pretty much cost them the fact that they could get back into this game. And this has been going on for quite some time now. And I I do think that Hütter is an excellent coach. I do like what Frankfurt have offered. And, I, you know, people who followed me know that this is a place that I like to go to and watch games quite a bit. And I think that Frankfurt, um, yes, there is a problem. They had problems even with attendance in the stadium. But I think this is a club that, without attendance will have even more problems because it is a club that is I think it might be even the most atmospheric stadium in the Bundesliga and you know anyone who has ever experienced that Europa Cup run that they had uh, where the other teams were basically scared out of their or scared out of the stadium because I was at a game against Shakhtar Donetsk where you couldn't hear um, a word you were saying um just before COVID-19 hit in February I was at the game against Salzburg where they smashed Salzburg and it was so loud in the stadium you couldn't hear a thing um, this, is, this is a club they, they benefit from that and you take that atmosphere away and you're already a side that's struggling quite a bit then that's a big huge problem um, and I think that is something that's going to hurt them and they have to be extremely careful about it because um, sorry sorry to uh, steal your, your biscuits there Chris but no side is good enough to go down um, you know, doesn't, no one can be protected from that. Um, if you don't get the results, you, in the end of the day, you, you be, are you in danger of getting relegated?
4: You are indeed. You are never too good to go down. And what makes me concerned for Frankfurt is, you know, the, the gap is four points, but they still have to face Werder Bremen who are looking for, to, for their own survival, they still got to play Mainz who are in that area. they still got to play Paderborn on the last day of the season. And I think we can pretty much agree that Paderborn will go down and they'll probably want to go down in a blaze of glory. And if they can drag another side with them, either automatic or into that relegation playoff, it, 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 would, be, it would be a real problem. And the way Frankfurt have played, that 16th place, if you get into it in the last one or two match days, and we've spoken about this before, it can weigh real heavy on the mind on the psychological games and the games they got coming against um, home against Freiburg. We saw what they did against um, Leipzig last weekend. They're playing Wolfsburg, who played I thought played very well against Dortmund and were unlucky not to get themselves back into the game at one point. They've got to play Hertha, who uh, we've already discussed, transformed under Bruno Labbadia. You would think at the moment the only points they'd be guaranteed to pick up would be on match day 32 against Schalke.
3: Yeah, it's definitely worrying times for Eintracht, isn't it? And you, even if we talk about them being in that third from bottom position and going into the uh, playoff, there's some big boys to play, you know, potentially there. You may have Hamburg or Stuttgart. And- I watched um, a little bit of the Hamburg game this weekend, and they looked very good actually. So it's it's not going to be that easy to avoid if you are dragged into it. But that more or less uh, does it for us uh, this week. There are midweek games, we must say, and obviously you don't miss that game on Tuesday, Der Klassiker, eh, Bayer versus Dortmund. That proves to be a really special one. And if you want a game on Wednesday to watch, well, you've got Hertha away to RB Leipzig. That could also be a rather exciting one. But that more or less does it for us on the pod today we'll be back uh, rather soon I'll feed you then
0: Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty
4: presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber.
0: Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me
4: is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. You mean the mini-fridge. It's a mini-fridge, It's a a mini-fridge.
0: New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet.
4: Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.